0: We are um, continuing our series in Ephesians by starting in Acts, of course, logically. Um, We're going to be in Acts chapter 19, verses 21 to 41. I'm calling this message, Don't Poke Someone in the Eye, and I'll explain later, (laughs) hopefully. (laughs) Acts 19, (coughs) verses 21 to 41 says this. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Acacia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of this great goddess Artemides may count, be counted as nothing. And that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Wanted to make a defense to the crowd, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, "Great is Artemis of the Ephesians!" And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, "Men of Ephesus, who is there that does not know that the city of Ephesians is uh, the city of Ephesians is Temple Artemis, the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied." You ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If, therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there, is pro, there are proconsuls let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can justify this commotion. When he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, your word, and we thank you for the account of these um, happenings in Ephesus. We pray that as we look at this text, that that you would encourage our hearts, that you would uh, challenge us and and strengthen us in our faith in you and what you are doing in, uh, in us and, and through us in our own world today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Alright, so again, as we continue to look through Acts and, and the stories of, of uh, the time in Ephesus, we're seeing more and more about what's important in Ephesus. And so one of the main things that is of great importance in Ephesus is this temple of Artemis. Our, our Artemis. Uh, this temple is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It is a huge temple, basically larger than a, a, a football field, the size of the whole temple itself, so it's huge. Uh, over 120 uh, pillars holding up this roof with a statue of Artemis inside of it. Um, a beautiful uh, a temple that was well known. Um, you know, almost at that time, Better known than the Pantheon uh, in in uh, Greek Greece, isn't that where the Pantheon is? Yeah, Dad's shaking out. She knows that's right. Greece, um, and, uh, and so this this temple was huge to them. It was a huge part of their culture. Many people came to worship Artemis, who's one of the most revered deities of the of the Greek and Roman world um, at the time. And so, uh, so what we're seeing is that that in this, uh, in this passage, what we're going to see is that that temple is coming to uh, some challenge, by the way. Uh, and what we're going to see here is that a few things, as we talk through this, that the gospel changes people, that, uh, that we need to listen to um, counsel rather than emotion, and finally, that we shouldn't poke people in the eye, and uh, we'll, we'll get there. So in verses twenty one to twenty seven, what we're seeing happen here is is that Demetrius is this guy. He's a silversmith, and what his whole job is to make replicas of this great temple in Ephesus. Uh, there's great shrines to um, shrines to Artemis that people can continue to worship while they're in their houses. This goddess, and so. His whole profession and the profession of those all throughout their countries would be to make these shrines that could be placed in a household and, and set there, and, and Artemis could be thought of and worshipped and revered and, and cared for by the people, whether they were in Ephesus or all around. And so this is a problem because he earns his living by doing this, and apparently it's a very uh, strong, uh, strong profession. There are multiple craftsmen that depend on his work as he goes to them and says, "Hey guys, like if this keeps going on this trajectory where people get changed by the gospel, then we're not going to have a job." He's concerned. So, he his concerns actually the truth is in the end of this uh, as we walk through the through this his his concerns get quieted and and things move on peacefully at the time but his concerns are real (laughs) and uh as as you read this it's actually sort of prophetic because the truth is now that great temple that stood larger than a football field is dust i mean there is one pillar left that that marks its place and people can still visit its ruins but it is in complete disrepute. it is gone it is done uh and as we know, the way has continued. Uh, the, the way of believers has continued on. <clears throat> so Demetrius' concern is real. The, the fact is that gospel changes people. And as we looked at when we, when we went through our, our uh, passage on serving together uh, during, or during our Going Together series on serving together, we talked about how the message that we've been given is actually one that a lot of the world doesn't like. And there's a reason the world doesn't like the message. And that reason is that the message is proclaiming the exclusivity, the the one way of coming to the Father in heaven by Jesus Christ. There isn't another religious uh, system that says there isn't another way to get to God, the only way to get to God is through the Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, other religions might say this is the best way. You ought to be following this way, but uh, for the most part, their beliefs dictate that that everyone gets in as long as you, you know, are good or or whatever. They allow for a universal uh, approach to heaven in most religions. It's not the, that's not the way in, in Christianity. It it is, it is a, a belief that God has literally sent his son to die for us. And that's the only way for us to be reconciled to the father. And so when Paul and his companions go throughout Asia and they're saying, Hey, your gods that you're worshiping, they're not real for one. And there's only one way to get to heaven. And that's through Jesus, the gospel changes people that accept that message, and, and they start changing the way they approach their life and, and the way they spend their money. I was trying to think of something that would be similar to the impact of what's happening here in our context, um, and it'd be like this, if, if the way of Christians in Tampa was so powerful, Uh, that events that Christians were doing on a regular basis were so powerful and things were happening so powerfully that nobody even wanted to go to Clearwater Beach anymore. Like the whole Clearwater Beach just dried up entirely because everyone wanted to go uh, do other things with Christians. That's like the equivalent, right? Like the most predominant feature of our region is this beautiful beach that faces the Gulf. And we ought to enjoy it because it's beautiful. But uh, that, that's sort of kind of what's happening here is that the most magnificent thing in Ephesus that anybody could go visit was the temple of Artemis. And now all of a sudden, people are becoming Christians and they're realizing she isn't real. <laughs> and so it, it, was, it was genuinely giving Demetrius, this maker of shrines, concern about his future profession You know, like it would for many of the tourist industry. If people were like, ah, the beach is fine. I want to go hear about Jesus instead of going to the beach. Like, I'm going to fly from Europe here to not visit the beach, but rather visit the church. You know, that would be interesting, right? That's the impact. That's the kind of impact it was having in Ephesus. Um, So we should learn something from this that... Uh, that the gospel changes us, right? When, when we come to faith in Jesus, things that we may have done before, just like we saw in the last passage, uh, these people that were, they were believers at the time when they realized, oh man, I shouldn't be practicing magic arts. <laughs> and they confessed and said, hey, we've been practicing magic arts. and Now we realize that there's actually like stuff in here that we ought not be messing with. And they repented and, and got rid of those things. The, the gospel changes the way we interact with our world and what we say is important with our time and with our money and with our talents. It changes us. The gospel changes us. And Demetrius in this passage is concerned about that because this change that's happening in people's lives is affecting his pocketbook directly. So he starts telling his uh, fellow businessmen this, that, hey, like, if this continues, we're not going to have a job and the temple is going to come into disrepute. Turns out to be prophetic because it actually happens. Uh, but he's, he's concerned about this. And they become in a rage that, first of all, that this could affect their pocketbook. Second of all, that their goddess is being defamed or being ignored, rather. Uh, I think, as we'll see in the text, that rather she's being ignored um, rather than defamed. They get in a rage. And this whole crowd of people comes into the temple and they're stirred up. Um, it says in verse 28 and 29. When they heard this from Demetrius, they were enraged and crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. To say, we've got to put a stop to this. We're going to get those guys, take them in there, and we don't know what we're going to do, but we're really mad. <laughs> it's basically what's happening. They're confused about what's going to happen, but they are enraged and all gather at this theater. This theater still exists, and uh, it's a beautiful theater, huge, can, can fit like 25,000 people, they think, in seating. It's built into a hill, it overlooks. Uh, I think you can look down upon like the valley and the Mediterranean in the distance, and it's a gorgeous place that you can still visit today. But at this moment, it was a very ugly place. Um, And what we're going to see in these verses as we look at this riot that's happening is that we ought to uh, let counsel counter our emotions. So while in the the first passage we saw that we ought to let the gospel counter Guide our motivations and, and change our, our 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 the the way we live. And now we see, as we look at this riot happening, that we ought to let our counsel, um, let counsel counter our emotions. What happened with Demetrius is that. Uh, he got enraged about the possibility of his business being destroyed. And he went to his people, fellow businessmen, and they all got enraged together and decided rashly to start having some huge uh, riot in the theater. Paul, being uh, one not to skip out on an opportunity uh, to preach the gospel, in, in his mind wants to go straight to this theater. So in Paul's mind, he's like, hey, okay, there's 25,000 Ephesians in the theater right now, and they're concerned about the conflict between Artemis and the God of all heaven. Hey, we've won this battle. I'm going to (laughs) go. That's basically what happens. Verses 30. When Paul wished to go in among the crowd, he desired to go, right? He said, I'm going to go do this. But Paul rather than listening to his emotion, listen to the counsel that was around him. It goes on to say the disciples would not let him go. Even some of the Asiarchs, which we don't think were uh, necessarily believers, they were just city people, people in the city that were uh, friends of Paul and knew him through other means. uh, They even urged him and said, hey, uh, don't worry about venturing into into the theater, like just hold off, okay? You just don't, don't touch this one. Yeah, I know it smells like a great opportunity for you to preach the gospel to a big group of people, but just hold off. This isn't the time. Paul's restrained from entering the theater. <clears throat> we see why very quickly in verses 32 and 33. It's just plain confusion, 32. Now some cried out one thing and some another for the assembly was in confusion. Most of them didn't even know why they were there. So what if Paul rushes into this and and all this chaos is happening? Nobody actually even knows why they're there. And Paul comes and declares some definitive truth and no one knows why they're there. You know what happens? He gets killed. So what's going to happen? They're just waiting for someone to pin this thing on. So they brought Gaius and Aristarchus in the middle. And even in verse 33, we see that uh, some prompt Alexander, a Jew, to go forward because they don't even know what they're arguing about. And as Alexander wants to give a defense, they're like, oh, he's a Jew. It's not even part of this way. they're, They're sorting this out even in the midst of this. It's all just utter confusion that's happening in the theater. So instead of coming to any conclusions, they just continue screaming for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That's all they can think to do. It's got to be a bunch of men, right? I mean, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Only only a guy could be happy doing that for two hours on it. You know what I mean? Like just screaming in the theater for no, no apparent reason and complete confusion. So, Paul is advised to not go in, and, and he listens to the council, doesn't go against them, and, and rather stays back. And we see in the final portion of this passage why that's important. Someone else actually sticks up for him, um, it's the town clerk. The town clerk comes in, and, and he says this the town clerk quiets the crowd. He he gives them four reasons why they need to zip their lips and go home, basically. The first is this. He says, Men of Ephesus, who is there that doesn't know that the city of Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. It's like, hey, listen, the whole world knows that our temple is awesome and the stone from the sky fell in our city. So nothing, no one can deny that. No one, there's no concern about Artemis being defamed because we know everybody in the whole world here knows they come to Ephesus because it is the center of the worship of Artemis. There's no denying that. This is the place where Artemis is, is worshipped. There's no concern about the temple of Artemis coming into disrepute. That's point one he gives. Point two he gives is this. Uh, secondly, you have brought these men here who neither who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. Okay, so this is where I get the don't poke somebody in the eye, right? What we see in this passage is that the the way in which the believers are going about sharing their faith throughout all of Asia, you know, they're actually not going around and saying Artemis is, is not this, Artemis is bad, Artemis is, you shouldn't go to the temple of Artemis. They're not going around poking people in the eye, telling them what they ought not do. It's not their approach. They're not saying, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. It's not what they're concerned about. They're not concerned about poking someone's beliefs in the eye. They're not concerned about making fun of their beliefs in any way. All they're doing is preaching the gospel and saying, there's a God in heaven who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, and you can be restored to the one and only God in heaven through Jesus Christ. They're they're presenting it in a positive light they're preaching the good news. They're not pointing out uh, the bad in people or the things that people have wrong. How do I, how do I come to this conclusion? The town clerk gives it to us, right? He says, these men are neither sacrilegious or blasphemous against Artemis. They, They haven't committed any crime against Artemis. There's no, no, uh, testimony that these men are sacrilegious that is that they have stolen anything from the temples of artemis so they haven't stolen anything from the temples i'm thankful that they're not stealing things from temples that's good but they also aren't blasphemous they aren't speaking ill of the goddess of artemis they're not saying she's not a goddess they're simply preaching the gospel as it is and people are coming to their conclusions on their own You don't have to poke someone in the eye and try and uh, upset them and say, you know, you're just wrong. Like, you know, your whole life and understanding of concept of reality is completely wrong. You know, that's not their approach. (laughs) Their approach is, did you know God loves you? And he sent his son to die for you? You don't have to poke someone in the eye. Right? We also know this because Why? will the town clerk come and defend these people if he's the defender of Artemis? This man isn't even a believer. The, he believes that Artemis is great. And, and Rather than going along with this crowd and saying, hey, yeah, let's get these guys out of here. He says, you know what? I think we should let him pass. <laughs> Tells me that their interaction with their city and with the people around them wasn't one of uh, conflict or, or, uh, or hatred or, um, or just, like, ugly arguments, you know? Like, as we, as we heard in the first section of, um, of, of this passage in Acts on Ephesus, one of Paul's ways in which he was sharing was just holding discussions with people. He was just talking to people and having conversations and saying, what do you, you, know, what do you believe? Asking questions. They didn't have to be blasphemous against the goddess because they just simply presented their beliefs, presented what they had seen was true in Jesus, and everyone could draw their own conclusions. Next, the town clerk says two more things and um, concludes his argument. He says, "Since they haven't committed any crimes against the goddess of Artemis, if Demetrius and the craftsmen have some sort of case against these individuals that, can, uh, that they can present to say, these individuals have, have somehow uh, robbed us or, or taken money from us or something, the courts are open. like there's a way to prosecute these people for civil matters. So if, uh, if that's the case, then, like, Demetrius, present your evidence, let's sort this out." That's reason three, reason four. Uh, he says, not only that, but we're in danger here of being charged with rioting because nobody knows what we're doing. <laughs> we're just in a confused, crazed mess, yelling and screaming, great as Artemis, at whoever knows what hour it might be. There's no way for us to justify this commotion. Once he'd said these things, he dismissed the entire assembly. Don't poke anyone in the eye. Sharing the gospel is not about telling people they're wrong. It's about letting truth reign in your life before others. And it's about telling them what you have seen is right. If you want to share the good news of, of Jesus, you don't have to lead with, hey, you know you're going to hell. <sighs> Doesn't start things off on a good foot. Listen, everyone has questions about eternity and and about life after this life. And and so you don't have to lead with this this hard-nosed fire question, right? Just engage in a a winsome and and, uh, persuasive manner. You know, share. Just share truthfully and honestly, right? Look for opportunity to to have a conversation that's respectful, one that's not going to get you labeled as a blasphemer or a sacrilege, you know? Like, there's a way to go about this that is respectful of those around you. So let's go with these things. Um, Let the gospel guide your motivations in life. The gospel is transformative. Transformative. And as we saw last week with with those that were practicing magical arts, um, the gospel is continually transformative. It's a sanctification process that we go through that God is continually refining us and making us more like himself. So I would say, let the gospel um, transform, change your motivations. Even now, however long you've been following Jesus— know that he continually wants to accomplish a work in you, that he's not done until you're in heaven with him face to face and and singing holy, holy, holy. Until that moment, God has something he is working in you throughout your life. So be open to the fact that the gospel should change you, should continually change you, should guide your motivations. Don't listen to uh, what the culture would tell you you ought to do in life. Listen to what the gospel has, is telling you and what the Spirit is directing you in. Second, let counsel counter your emotions. It's very easy for us when we get into a conflict or a situation in which we're enraged or, or angry or unhappy about something to just let our emotion guide our response. you know, last week we talked about the space that we have between something happening and our response to something happening. And in that space, I encourage you to put some counsel, put some people in the space when you're responding to a situation. That's what Paul allowed. As he saw this opportunity, he said, "Ah, okay, I'm going to go and preach the gospel. And they say, wait, 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 hold on. This is just not the time. He was wise and he listened to counsel. Finally, don't poke anyone in the eye. It's just a bad course of action. Share the gospel in a a way that um, simply presents Jesus, simply tells the good news that God in heaven has sent his son to die for you. Yes, the message is not liked because it's an exclusive claim and it will get pushed back. The truth is when you're allowing the gospel to guide your motivations and change your heart uh, and, and as you're winsomely talking to people about this, they aren't going to necessarily listen to the presentation of your words as much as they're going to know that this is what you believe and they're going to look at your life and say what they believe matches what their life is doing. There's a way to engage our culture that is respectful and that also is truthful. And we ought to seek that. It's a difficult road and it's a difficult uh, uh, path to walk, but, but we ought to seek to be faithful to the truth we believe and to share that truth in a way that is respectful of those that are around us, of their concerns, of their questions. Of their own experience of their lives. That Jesus might be exalted as as one who cares, who shows compassion, who has a listening ear, who is willing uh, to have conversations to figure things out with people. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of these believers that instead of just going around Ephesus telling everyone they're wrong, they would try and understand where people are at and, and share through discussion and conversation and, um, and through their living who you are and what you've done. I pray that you would help us to do the same. Help us to demonstrate your love even as we share who you are and what you've done. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.